I'm aroused. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. My name's Kyle Perkins. <laughs> I'm Jordan. <laughs> and before we get started, you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. Oh, yeah. Email us at alienfamiliarmedia oh. at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. And if you want to help us out with supporting the show. Oh, yeah. You can be a patron at patreon.com slash alienfamiliarmedia. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm aroused. <laughs> That's why I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Wow, what a, what a day to be alive and um, healthy. Uh, I, I feel wonderful. Um Oh, I just burned myself on this tea. Oh man! Yeah, how was that? It was pretty good. And so, how many how many hit points did I lose? Eh. Eh, eh. Okay, I tried. So today we're talking about we're not talking about anything real sexy. We're not talking about uh, we're going to be talking about the parts of the rules that never seem to quite simulate reality. Yeah, we're gonna be a bunch of goddamn downers. We're gonna we're gonna talk about all these shitty rules and these shitty games, and you're gonna love it. So we're negging people. Yeah, basically. Uh. <laughs> well, we're going to start with talking about hit points and any other systems that might in some way reflect the health and vitality of a character. Um, hit points are by far the most common. Um, there are a few other systems that have some like damage track where uh, you are just taking increase penalties on things depending on the type of damage you've taken or you are or you are uh well i'm not really familiar with any other um i was thinking particularly of the fate system for how they kind of track how you take damage in that system besides hit points how else have you seen vitality tracked there's, there's conditions on like um what is the uh, the D20? Is it Mutants and Masterminds? Yeah. Where there's no hit points, you just have a toughness, and then every attack sets a difficulty that you roll your toughness against, and if you fail, then you take another wound condition <laughs> that gets progressively worse. And so, like, uh, that number determines how tough you are, and everybody's got a set amount okay. of wound conditions. I think it also, it'll, like... I can't remember exactly the rules, but it'll, like, stack up if it's, like, way massive damage. You could take multiple conditions in one mm-hmm. hit. It's been a while since i played that one, though. But I can see where the, like, depending on the way the conditions stack up, uh, particularly I'm thinking of the way the fate um, system, your your penalties stack up, is it just becomes a bookkeeping nightmare of, fi- of figuring out what exactly... What exactly is wrong with you? And it's real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the main problem that I seem to have with, um, with hit point systems in general. And also the, just the keeping track of health is just, it's so much bookkeeping. And, and it seems like hit points are there to make sure you either, you're either good to go or you're down. Mm-hmm. And there's not really much like there familiar. to determine uh, uh, how urgently uh, do you all need healed. I'm the healer. Well, I'm at twenty. I'm at five. I will heal that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've definitely fallen out of love with it over over the years, and also like I, I think this should be a, a tightly coupled thing that is either completely overlooked or a separate system is exhaustion, mm-hmm. like. Not many people can go blow after blow in a, a stand-up fight with somebody for more than, what, 30 seconds yeah. before they get gassed out? I mean, yeah. the top fighting athletes in the world are, you know, really struggling to stay on their feet after a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know... That's not even taking into account, like, the actual physical damage that's happening. That's just the exertion that you're putting in. Yeah, the only game, the only game I've ever seen that actually deals with, uh, with that, um, 
energy is what they called it was the unisystem. It's the unisystem that um, all flesh must be eaten was based on. They have a separate, they have two tracks for, uh, they have a track for your vitality and they have a track for your energy. Yeah. And you have to rest in order to gain back energy. And if you are in a fight, it, energy runs down faster than your hit points most of the time. Mm-hmm. And fighting isn't the only thing that spends your energy. Traveling spends your energy. Um, if you were in a fight and you have to run, you probably aren't going to be able to because you're, you've exhausted yourself so much in the fight. Interesting. I've never played a game like that. Uh, I've never played a, a pen and paper game like that. That's kind of cool. Uh, that's a, that's a, such a common thing in video games, mm-hmm. having to manage um, some kind of energy or stamina resource, but I've never played a pen and paper game like that. But it's another thing you got to track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. In, adi- in addition to health, you got energy and you've got ammunition. You've mm-hmm. got your food and your water. It's what kinds of games uh, is Unisystem designed for? Like what um, genres? It's a, it's, a gen- it's a generic system. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen All Flesh Must Be Eaten, a zombie apocalypse. Uh, they have a, um, I don't remember what it's called. It's some sort of like a, you're playing a coven of witches, I want to say. Hmm. It's some sort of magic system in it. Um, those are the only two that jump out at me, but it's generic enough that um, All Flesh Must Be Eaten itself has had um, many cross-genre book, splat books out for it, oh, including yeah. wrestling. Yeah. Like like, cl- like professional wrestling? Yes. Pro- professional wrestling against zombies yeah. is a source book for this <sighs> book. Fuck. For this. That's amazing. That, that game is like GURPS for zombies specifically. Yeah. <laughs> The the old Deadlands system had uh, wind as like a parallel bar for energy, but they only treated that like essentially subdual damage. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't really have anything to do with um, going round for round, as I recall. And then like the Star Wars um, D twenty system, the revised one, uh, that had a distinguishing thing between wound points. That was just equal to your constitution and then vitality, which could get really high, but you never spent those to do anything except like use force abilities and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. They're sort of gesturing at this problem, but I'd really like to see something cool. I hope there's a game system we don't know about out there that's done a good job doing that. Cause I think it's neat and I like realistic game systems. Mm-hmm. So we we start with just one of the core attributes of your character is in a game is how healthy you are, how much you can do. Mm-hmm. And next we got like actually doing it when shit goes down and everybody go, gets into a brawl. The way initiative tracks is, has always bothered the hell out of me. First round is fine. I'm fine with in the first round, like, different people have a different point at which they're able to act. But mm-hmm. beyond that, it's just chaos mm-hmm. in, a, in a fight. Um, every tactician in the history of the world has, has said that like no plan survives first contact with <laughs> the enemy mm-hmm. and the confusion, the, um, the, the disorientation of what all is going on, Whenever we're playing a game, all of our characters are perfectly aware of where everything is, what all is happening, where it is happening, especially if you're on a grid. You can just look at the grid and see, okay, all of these things are going on. But in a combat, most of the time, I would think that theater of the mind would be the way to go, especially because it's so hard to conceptualize all of the different pieces that are going on in combat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, uh, if actual combat worked like that, well, let me, let me rephrase like SWAT teams or like Marine fire teams would lose their minds if they had that kind of like crisp tactical detail mm-hmm. in real time of what's going on. You know, like there's never a friendly fire situation. There's never a like, you know, misidentifying your target or anything like that. There is friendly. There's only friendly fire when your wizard is being a dick. Yeah, or in some games, if you like, you know, roll a fumble or something, mm-hmm. that's like a consequence of it. But mm-hmm. it's never like I see some shadowy 
person over there and I think that's an enemy and blow their head off. And that's Tommy, not, no! That's not to say that the rules don't allow for that, but um, it really seems like no players and, and uh, DMs uh, cause that to happen. Like, think about how betrayed and shitty your players would feel if you have everyone do a perception check and the highest is a 10 and you're like, yeah, you, you see something over there moving in the trees and everyone looses a volley of arrows and they just killed some, like, treasured NPC and the GM's like, well, sorry, your perception rolls weren't good enough. <laughs> People would lose their minds. It's fired without confirming your target. <laughs> Or you're in a fight and um, one player, if you're doing theater of the mind, one player isn't paying particular attention because they're on their phone and their turn comes up and then and the storyteller or game master describes what they're seeing and but doesn't describe, doesn't identify who each person is. And you say, like, there's a figure here, there's a figure there, there's a figure doing this, there's a figure doing that. Well, who seems to be the biggest threat? Right. Mm-hmm. The figure there has a, a pretty big sword. It's dark. There's a lot of smoke. Okay, I, I shoot the big guy. Well, the big guy was your tank. <laughs> yeah. This uh, this is kind of skipping ahead, but I think that it's it's relevant here. Um, another problem with the with the initiative is that um, every single turn is an insulated event. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're gonna talk about full auto fire. If on my turn, I you know spray 30 rounds into some guy across the room, then on your turn, you can run up and hit him with an axe. Yeah. But I should still be spraying bullets the whole fucking time, <laughs> you know? Uh, there's there's never a situation where, okay, you're laying down fire down this, you know, this corridor, and some guy runs across and randomly gets nailed by your volley of bullets. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that bothers me, that... It's that Final Fantasy kind of fighting. Right. We put out that combat primer episode, right? We did um, some mock combat. That was (laughs) a few uh, months ago. It was to help me be a better DM. (laughs) No, that's right. Help the listeners be a better DM. Obviously, thinking of something different. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, that brings me back to that. Thinking about in 5e, all the ridiculous things you can do during your movement phase. Like, I'm running up, I'm drawing a sword, oh, there's a piece of gold in the ground, I'm going to pick that up, I'm still moving, and stab. And then meanwhile, somebody spends their entire turn doing, like, you know, a skill check, which would include uh, uh, some kind of, like, like searching through, like, you know, a room, I don't know. There's wording in the, the PHB that I was reading the other day, um, there were the DM guide, I can't remember which, that kind of implied that you only get one of those list of move actions. Hmm. I I can't remember what exactly it said, but that was definitely the implication of it was that you get one of these. And that makes a whole lot more sense than I'm running around doing every <laughs> wacky little freebie thing I can think of. Right. But it's it's not spelled out as clearly as it should be, I think. Well I think it's pretty clear because of the implication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing about initiative that bothers me is the fact that it takes my character the same amount of time to throw a quick punch mm-hmm. as Jordan, your character, to swing this big fucking maul mm-hmm. with two hands and do an ent- entire swing. Mm-hmm. Um, the only game that I've seen that tries to address this was... Um, oh crap, I can't remember it. It was um, White Wolf, the Scion here series, Hero, Demigod, God, where the initiative in that was kept on a clock. Yeah. And your action determined how much time it would take for your next time on the clock to come up. So, so, so for instance, if you started at a one and did like a punch, a punch was pretty quick. So a punch only gave you like, I'm just making this up, like, would only... For your next action to come up. So you got to cool down for all yeah. your actions. Yeah. That's huh. cool. Yeah, they tried to kind of address that uh, back in the day in 2nd edition D&D with weapon speed, mm-hmm. but all that amounted to was a modifier to your initiative. It still took six um, seconds for... Yeah. But there were also uh, attacks per round that you could have with weapons. Yeah, like three three attacks every two rounds. Yeah. That's, that's good for actions. 
God, this is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Three attacks every two minutes. Awesome. Moving down the list of things you think of when you immediately, you know, think about pen and paper RPGs. We had HP, initiative, grapple. I mean, really, it, we're not talking about the joke of like, you know, first thing your players do, I, I grapple them. You know, the first thing you have to learn in every system because it's overly complicated, how to grapple. But if you think about the actual mechanics, like right now, you spill my tea, mm-hmm. and this is the only thing keeping me alive right now, and I'm mm-hmm. pissed at you. Mm-hmm. And so I want to I just, I want to grab you. Mm-hmm. And it's not a hug. Mm-hmm. I want to kill and get you. Mm-hmm. There's so yeah. much at play right there. Mm-hmm. I have to get out of my chair. Mm-hmm. You start to get out of your chair because you see me coming for you. Mm-hmm. Can I close the distance to you before you pull out that knife that I know you keep? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> how do you actually simulate that? Also, most, like, fighting, grappling situations is not one-sided. It's yeah. both are grappling each other, mm-hmm. struggling for an advantage. It's yeah. very rare that, you know, they'll, like, take somebody's back and it's, like, clearly just one person. Yeah. Um, I heard a, I, I read a statistic several years ago. I don't remember where it came from. Or read two statistics that were very closely linked. One of them, 90% of brawls go to the ground. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. 80% of the time, the guy on top wins. Oh, the guy on, on top on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, who, yeah. whoever is above the whoever's up, Whoever's on top is up there just beating the shit out right. of who's on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Now, by 5th edition D&D rules, since when you grab somebody, all it does is prevent them from moving, which is stupid. Does that mean that the person being grabbed can grab the grabber and both of them prevent each other from moving? I think that's a separate role. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so in D and D five, E opposed strength or athletics checks, uh-huh. um, say I'm grabbing you, uh, we roll, I win, I have you in a grapple on your turn. You can then drag me somewhere. I, I can drag you somewhere, but that's all I can right. do to you mm-hmm. on your turn. All you can't do is move. You okay. can do any, anything, any other action, mm-hmm. which would include a grapple attack on me, right? I would think so. so. Moving them is not the only thing you can do. You, if you if you have a weapon in your other hand, like your hand, you can still beat them with. Oh, uh, sorry, right. Uh, the only like abnormal thing I can do to you, because right. because attacks that I do against a grappled opponent, it's just a standard attack. I get no right. advantage on that attack. I, I right. believe. Um, but yeah, would would that mean that you could grapple me even though I've grappled you? I don't yeah. see why not. I guess that's actually something I was about to say before you brought that up is that in a grappling fight, in any kind of brawl, especially one that's kind of gone to the ground, you know, I try for that first grapple. We're already in extremely close quarters. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to try to pin or grapple me. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of any systems. Apocalyptia did this, maybe still does. If you have somebody grappled, can't you fail so severely that then you are now grabbed or they can turn it around on you yeah there, um, there was some rule yeah some mechanic for that yeah because it's more like you're struggling over who's in control of the situation rather than just you know i've got this status effect on you that you're trying to you know prevent and there's you know a bunch of sub things that you can do like turn that basic grab into like a choke or you know whatever um turn them into like a human shield um that sort of stuff but I think that there needs to be some distinction between um, just the reaching out with one hand and grabbing someone to prevent them from being able to effectively defend themselves as you're coming at them with a punch or a mm-hmm. knife or whatever. That's the whole reason you do that, to keep them from being able to get away. Versus, like, bear hug, tackle, you know, get them in some kind of wrestling scenario. Or mm-hmm. um, it needs to be a wrestle check. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's just a completely different set of things. You're doing it for completely different reasons. The grab in D&D doesn't make it any easier for you to stab the person that you have grabbed. Right. Or for your your teammates, too, either. Yeah. matter. If you could trip them, and then you, because they're held, Mm -hmm. they can't move, they can't use their movement to get up. Right. You would have advantage on them. Mm -hmm. But that would be... But there's none of that, like, you know, prison yeah. cell stabbing where you walk up and grab somebody's shoulder and then run it into their guts a bunch of times, mm-hmm. you know? Um, 
What are the mechanics on that, real quick? So if I have a char- uh, an enemy grappled, and then some other thing brings that character prone, that would indicate that they could not use their move to stand up, since they're since they can't move. I would need to look uh, this up in a rule book. Huh. At some point, you get to the pinned condition. Yeah. Um. So there are some stages of it, but my God, how many fucking rounds are you having to spend going through all this mess? Uh-huh. Just to get this situation that, in all <clears throat> reality, we could be in in two seconds flat, mm-hmm. you know? How long do most professional, like, Olympic wrestling matches last? I mean... I don't actually know the answer to that. <laughs> it, it's not more than three D&D rounds. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see a, a simulation of a police arrest using D&D grapple rules. <laughs> and, and it has to come up. The town guard comes and wants to arrest somebody. There's manacles you know, in the player's whatever. handbook. I'm not talking about manacles. I'm talking about putting an arm behind someone's oh. back and, you know, pinning them down to the ground. Like, that would be so ridiculous to watch happen in D&D rules as written. Uh-huh. You know, it, it would just be... Arrests would be nearly impossible. Well, yeah, because all you have to do is roll a really, really good charisma check or, or, or a diplomacy or something to just talk your way out of it, right? Interesting segue. Thank you. I just killed a guard. A guard saw me do it. And this is obviously depending on the game master, but uh, another guard runs up to me. Stop, citizen. I, I implore you to reconsider. Go, citizen. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's what we're talking about here. What are we talking about here, Kyle? Oh, uh, you know, charisma-based skill checks and how ridiculous and unrealistic they are, Jordan. They are indeed. And most of the time when you are, when you're trying to convince someone to do something for you, you're not actually in real life convincing somebody that what you're saying is truth or what you're saying is fact. You're just wearing them down to the point where it's it's more beneficial for them to stop listening to you and do it than to continue arguing. Yeah, you're, you're looking for compliance, not yeah. agreement. We've talked about this before a few times, but yeah, like the whole the whole breadth and, and multi dimensionality of social interaction is just so much more complicated than I think you could ever reasonably simulate with some numbers arguably it's more complicated than the physics of actual combat mm-hmm. and it's certainly something more complex than what can be conveyed in six seconds yeah i want my diplomacy checks my persuasion checks my intimidation checks outside of combat to all take place over the span of minutes or hours or possibly even days yeah, I mean, it can take a long time to to like really change somebody's mind about something or, or run a long con or whatever, mm-hmm. you know I mean? Because that's, that's the thing about a lot of this stuff. It's it's subtle, and it you can't move somebody quickly a, a large number of steps from where they are. You've, you've got to walk them, you know, overcome all the built-in resistance to you know, admitting that their own position is wrong or, you know, maybe not even admitting, but just being convinced that it is. Takes a long time to turn a person from hostile to helpful. Yeah. That that guy who would meet with uh, KKK members and he was a black guy who would meet with KKK members and eventually uh, over the course of years, maybe convince them to like, you know, quit the organization. He he did this successfully with a Mm -hmm. a handful of people. Mm -hmm. It was extremely impressive. Uh, D&D, well, what do you think, uh, DC 26? <laughs> Roll it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and even in systems where social um, social combat, which is kind of what we're talking about, is mm-hmm. its own subsystem, like vampire, typically. Social combat is its own special rules, special combat system. Still there, like whenever you're verbally sparring with someone, most of the time you're just beating them down verbally until they're done talking until until they don't have anything else to to say Mm -hmm. and you have enough power that you can end the conversation there Mm -hmm. and that's always a temporary thing Mm -hmm. but in like most games where you manage to totally dominate someone verbally 
that's going to become the status quo of their condition is they they've got this condition now where they've been completely convinced of you rather than like they're going to sit sit there stewing over all the things you said to them and come up with all the comebacks that they're going to say next time and have and they're going to be an even more difficult opponent the next time or or maybe you know readjust some of the points that they made mm-hmm. like it, I don't think it's always necessarily that people stick straight to their guns. It depends on how, you know, invested they are in the thing. But over the course of several conversations, um, assuming that everything is happening, you know, in good faith and is well-reasoned and the, the people aren't like deeply psychologically locked onto their points, I think people tend to kind of reach an average between each other's positions, assuming that they were both orbiting true positions to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my experience is that there's, there's always this hard barrier of a person's, of a person's way of thinking and belief structure. If that's what you're talking about, um, where that there has to be a degree of overcoming that before that, that change happens. That's just, that's just something I know I don't ever really see in, in role-playing games. Yeah. Even getting someone to come to the negotiating table to even begin this social battle is a difficult task mm-hmm. that's you know, never really represented. And uh, <clears throat> also, like, not just with negotiation and stuff, lying specifically has always been one of those social things in role-playing games that has always bothered me because... It's extremely easy to lie to people depending on what's going on. I could go out and meet somebody right now mm-hmm. and say, hi, my name's Kevin, mm-hmm. and just keep a straight face, and they have no reason to believe that I'm lying. That is why I loved lying in, in Night's Black Agents. There was no lying skill. It was, you are using this other ability that you have. You are using your, your military knowledge. You are using your law enforcement knowledge. You're using your your knowledge of the bureaucracy, you're using your knowledge of chemistry, whatever knowledge you are using to fabricate these lies, mm-hmm. it's founded on you having to know something about the thing you're lying about. Yep. What was the way of detecting uh, a lie in Knights Black Agents? Um, I don't remember the, the, the ability. Um, bullshit detector. Right? Yeah. 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 Literally, literally called bullshit detector, yep. which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that is something that I think has, I've never been able to quite put my finger on why that bugs me. Uh, you know, uh, deception versus insight. What is it in uh, World of Darkness? Um, the detection of a... Well, subterfuge of a, is the mm-hmm. skill you use to lie. I don't know if you use that to detect. Um, in, let's see. I think it's one of those combos. It's not empathy, is it? Mm-mm. Uh, it's like wits plus something, I believe. Regardless, I, I, I've i taken four shits today. What do you think, lie or truth? It's pretty early. I'm going to go with lie. That was the truth, actually. I've taken four shits today, Jordan. Wow. Yeah, beer shits. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's... it's Lying is easy. <laughs> lying is fucking easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially when it's a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. You know? It, mm-hmm. I think it's much harder to, to lie to somebody that you know. Um, Most lying in role-playing games, you're lying to complete strangers, too. Um, and especially bef- in, if you're playing a game where it's before the information age, where there's pictures of everyone that you can find. Bef- like, when the only way to get a picture is to have someone sit down, look at you, and draw a picture of you. Yeah. In the real world, crimes went unsolved daily because you had to have a a, an eyewitness who was there and eyewitnesses are wrong 50% of the time when they are absolutely convinced that they are right. They are wrong 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could, you could commit a spree of crimes in a town and go one town over mm-hmm. and <laughs> completely change your look and no one would ever know. Yep. The good old days. <laughs> <laughs> ah, to be an old timey drifter. <laughs> a vagabond. <laughs> You could sit there and you could try to convince someone of something until they die of old age and they might not be convinced. And, <laughs> dude, you know, speaking of dying of old age, <laughs> what, Jordan? That's, that's thin. <laughs> Segway master. That's a good one, though. Dying of old age. 
We got healing. We got healing spells. We got the ability to cure disease by touching somebody the right way. <laughs> <laughs> Good touch, not bad touch. Yeah. But that's just hand waved away. You know, every race has a lifespan in Dungeons and Dragons, um, in other RPGs uh, that have, you know, some kind of like, even if it's not magic, some kind of immediate heal uh, ability. Um, that I guess again, it's it's DM specific, but doesn't work to save someone from dying of old age or cancer. Can can you um, uh, use a paladin ability to cure cancer? Cure disease, maybe. It, mm-hmm. I, but the cancer is usually your own cells. Diseases in uh, in this context are generally thought to be outside the body type things. I don't know if a paladin's ability to lay on hands could cure. That or any autoimmune disease. Yeah, do we do we want to get into the germ theory of D and D? Might be a separate uh, topic, actually. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely want to talk about that as a separate topic. <laughs> this this goes back to the the health and vitality thing in a lot of ways. Like, what is damage? What what does it mean to take damage? Right? Like, mm-hmm. is it just a laceration on your body, or it, no? Clearly, it's not just that. There's lots of other things that cause damage there is you know spells that are some kind of like they're they're at least skinned as being disease related in some way there's necrotic damage and shit like that right but you're telling me the old age is not necrotic damage i'm not so sure back in the day the like certain spells would take a certain number of years off your life Oh yeah, the of high, the caster, the real high level ones. Yeah, like wish and stuff. Yeah, wish you gain a d10 years mm-hmm. for an elf. So that's like that's like a couple of months to us. To a human, ten years. Yeah, we've <laughs> got a bunch of like half formed thoughts. I'm trying to stitch together around health and old age. And speaking of stitching things together, you you think about healing itself when it does work. You know, I've I've had massive, severe trauma to my left arm from getting hit with a spiked maul, and obviously it's magic, and that that is in its in its own right kind of an answer. It's magic; it works. But you think about trying to uh, do like a medicine check or something that isn't magic related, and, and the mechanics of it, it's just kind of you roll, it happens. There's no recovery. There's no physical therapy. Obviously, that would be boring as hell in a game. This is a game, but... Well, most games don't have a non-magical healing ability that you can do to a person to gain back hit points that isn't just convalescence. Um, there were there have been a couple of them that have had some sort of... Like, D&D 4th Edition had where you could uh, second wind and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Fighters still have second win in 5th edition. Okay. Never played a fighter. Yep. But what about the way fighters use weapons? Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. I remember what it was now. Um, Cut out that segue. Hang on. Another thing, kind of to do with old age and also to do with health, permanent damage from taking severe wounds. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, tell me how as like a 12th level grizzled old fighter... I'm going to have a limp from, you know, taking a broadsword to the thigh when I was, you know, a much younger man. That mm-hmm. not there. Bone dislocations, you know, fucking shit healing wrong, like nerve damage. There's a million things mm-hmm. that real people in combat suffer with for years. And all of that, and even without combat, all of that stuff just kind of plays into the old age. Your 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 joints are just getting used. Mm-hmm. The um, the cartilage is just getting ground away. Mm-hmm. It's weird that all of this wonderful magic exists, but nobody thought to start applying some of this magic to fixing that sort of thing. When in the real world, that's where <clears throat> a lot of people are are hoping that the real money in healthcare is going to be. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that was one of the things I was trying to think of earlier when we were talking about disease. I was watching a thing about how some of these places that are looking at like age reversal or age slowing kind of therapies, 
Um, sometimes I have a hard time getting uh, funding because the CDC does not classify aging as a disease. But if they would, that would open them up to a bunch of grants and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it, it's kind of arbitrary, like, what thing we're, we're calling a disease or not. But if, if there was some, you know, some bacteria infection that you could get that did all of the effects of aging but a little faster, mm-hmm. we definitely call that a disease, mm-hmm. you know. Or some nuts or some chromosomal problem that causes you to physically have an, um, a body that is many decades older than what you actually are, progeria. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You don't see those kids around on on the news and stuff as much as you did back in the 80s and 90s. It's funny, we, we've spent so much time and, you know, energy uh, f- being able to fix and cure just about anything at this point. Obviously, that's not completely true, but you think about the amount of things we can cure and fix, and now we, we are looking at slowing down or reversing aging in some small capacity. It's beginning, and, and no one has done that. You know, I guess the, the magical CDC doesn't fund aging research either, maybe, and that's why there's no magic there. I I don't know. It's all like Silicon Valley startups and stuff. That's, that's where this money's coming from. But, like, literally aging is just damaged to cells it's it's damage to the telomere at the end of your chromosomes with every splitting you lose little bits of this information and so every copy is worse and so cure light wounds should cure your fucking telomeres <laughs> you know well, let's talk about the things that cause those wounds those oh, light wounds good one let's talk about weapons for a little bit um, I have a lot of beef with uh, the way weapons are handled in in role playing games. Where do you want to begin, Clayton? I don't know because I've got so many weapons related things up here. Um, let's just start with um, weapon and weapon breakage, um, equipment breakage, which never happens unless there is a rule for it, in which it happens way too much. Mm. I've never seen a good balance. Um, I played a D and D game where. Whenever you roll the one, your weapon broke. Mm-hmm. I was playing a fighter with three attacks per round. I was breaking a weapon on average every third or fourth round of combat. <laughs> I would have to, like I would have to go through. I would have to like hack for a couple of rounds, hope somebody went down so that when my weapon broke, I could pick up their weapon. If they if they didn't go down, then I had to go into a grapple, wrestle their weapon. And use their weapon against them. That's pretty badass. <laughs> it's a little bit awesome. It sounds like fucking Last of Us. Yeah. <laughs> Shields are a big one for me on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can sit there with my with my shield board, and you can hack away at me with a two handed axe indefinitely. Mm-hmm. I kind of have often thought that shield should probably just be a big block of temporary hit points that you have to like roll something to use to soak damage rather than just a invincible barrier. I was always partial of um, using, like, the rules for using shields being more of a parry, Hmm. where it's a lot easier because the sword is, or the shield is a lot bigger than any weapon you would be using to parry with, but it would still take the same core mechanic that you would use to parry a blow. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder how often weapons actually broke in medieval combat because I like thinking of like like long swords from like the 1300s or something. Seems like that would be <clears throat> a lot harder to break than like a rapier or you know a small straight sword like those like sort of 15th 16th century style mm-hmm. of weapons. If they're only being crossed by weapons of roughly the same size, which is, you know, historically what tended to happen most of the time, it's flexible steel that has been, you know, it's been built for strength. So, well, in the real world, weapon breakage was such a big problem that that's why we kept evolving and changing the metals and alloys that we were using to make our weapons up until now, and we are continuing to do so, 
like um, especially before even iron weapons became like iron being not really all that like being comparatively strong compared to everything else like bronze weapons would bend like crazy mm-hmm. um, and like uh, the uh, the 300 Spartans in, at the Thermopylae Pass that's the main advantage that they had was being, because they had stronger weapons they had weapons made out of actual iron rather than um, a lot of the they had they had spears that were had a tip of iron and I want to say that the shaft was also metal as well so they weren't going to break against the softer metals that the Persians were using mm. so yeah weapons really did break all the time that's why <laughs> that's why we have that's why we got better steel so that was kind of a weapon stamina gave them an advantage. Because even though the enemy soldiers might still be in fighting condition, their weapons weren't. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I wonder, though, like, if you've got two guys fighting and they've both got, you know, long swords of the same kind of make, how long they could battle with each other before one of those swords would break. <clears throat> and, and I feel like breaking seems really unlikely. It'd be much more likely that because of some, you know geometry of some situation that you get in that it would bend out of shape Mm -hmm. and then be, you know, shitty and basically useless. But I see what you're saying about two different um, materials or even two different weapon types. You know, I could see somebody who's using like an axe versus, you know, a spear or something. You catch that spear just right and you're you're going to break it with that axe. Or a sword versus an axe. You catch the axe in the right spot. You cut the handle. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about armor. Part of what I hate about the way armor is done is just that every armor is anachronistic to the time period in which it's happening, or in which the story is supposedly happening. Like, you'll have armors that have spanned human history Mm -hmm. all available at the same time in a particular location. Uh, you will have scaled mail and um, like full plate, like a breastplate where the breastplate in every way was superior. Why would you ever have um, the scale mail? Because in reality, the scale mail would actually be more expensive to make because it's going to take a lot more time in order to make each individual piece, mm-hmm. put the pieces together. And like weapon breakage, armor never wears down. Mm-hmm. I could, I could come up on uh, a mounted or uh, an armored knight in full plate mail, like a, a two-handed maul, catch him square in the breastplate. In real life, that would crush that in most likely. Mm-hmm. And assuming that he doesn't die immediately, he would be unable to breathe for the duration until he gets that armor off. Mm-hmm. Um, no such luck. Yeah. Or worse, like leather armor, where you cut into leather armor. Well, now you've got cut open leather armor. You can't fix that. The leather isn't going to heal itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in most campaigns, the players never visit armorsmiths unless they're buying better armor. Yep. <laughs> and that's not just D&D, uh, any kind of game. You, you want to go shopping? Yeah. Because you need all your shit repaired after a week of travel in the field? What? No, I want to buy something better. <laughs> How are there still armorsmiths in D&D? Like, it seems like there should be so much legacy armor from ages past mm-hmm. that never got destroyed. It should just be armor merchants. <laughs> <laughs> also, like they, they used to have this in 2nd <clears throat> edition, and it was too crunchy to keep up with. Um, but having uh, different weapons having advantage or disadvantage over different types of armor, you know, uh, using piercing weapons against chain mail or bludgeoning weapons against chain mail. Yeah. Not really such a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. Nor is just having piecemeal armor. Mm -hmm. Like who in the real world point me to more than a handful of of examples of really rich people who had a full set of one type of armor that they were wearing that wasn't piecemeal in some way, that they didn't just cobble together either because they couldn't afford to buy it all at once, and so they bought they bought the bre- the breast piece, they brought they bought the shoulder piece, then they brought mm-hmm. bought the arm piece, 
And it's all going to look different. It's all going to look, it's probably all going to be, each piece is going to be made by a different blacksmith, so it's going to have a different style to it. And the, the tarnish on the older pieces, too. Those those chainmail dice bags that you made and are still selling for dollars each? Listeners. Um, you were saying that, like, the, the, the different ring production rates that you were, you know, when you were making metal rings, yeah. they would begin to tarnish from the moment you started handling them and using them. And so some of the early dice bags had, like, half of the rings are at a different rate of tarnish than the other half. And that would make, you know, even a, 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 a chain mail, um, a, a chain shirt not look like this uniform idea we have in our minds of chain mail looking. Mm-hmm. And where, well, most of the discoloration is just due to the fact that I had to use different, um, basically different runs of steel in order to make those rings. Oh. It wasn't the same batch of steel. It wasn't from the same... Well, I, I bought them in big, long coils, the, the steel, and made the rings out of that. Well, when I ran out of one, I had to buy another coil. And while we have incredibly precise machines designed to in, ensure that um, each product is within this, um, the same tolerance of all the other tolerant of all the other products, they're still going to come out different colors. Mm-hmm. There's going to be slight differences in the, in the, in the sheen of the metal. And that's, that's what you're seeing whenever you, if you get one of my dice bags and some of the rings are, uh, seem to be a little bit more faded than the other. It might be because those rings are older by maybe a couple of months because I bought those, I bought the rings earlier, or it might be a slightly, a very slightly different process used to make those rings, even though it was some from the same manufacturer. That's one of the very basic level things people think about with fantasy role-playing games: are the players running around in? It might not be ornate, but it's going to be uniform. Let's face it, pretty cool-looking armor. Mm-hmm. Every player, mm-hmm. whether it's a Leather up to full plate. Every player's in really cool matching armor. Highly unrealistic. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, though, about, like... I mean, I'm, I'm interested a lot in this idea of, like, gear degradation and stuff like that. <clears throat> and, like, cobbling together stuff. And I tried to, to simulate that in Apocalyptia. You can do all these things that we were talking about for this gear stuff. But it's so much more bookkeeping. I can't think of a way to to simulate that faithfully <clears throat> without it being this object has some hit points to it and mm-hmm. you got to keep track of that stuff and <laughs> you know blah 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 so when you take damage you you have to not only figure out your damage but the damage that your armor is taking and you want it to be quick because that's another way that you know games are never simulating reality, spend an hour on 10 seconds of in-game time. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any better ideas on how you could possibly do that kind of thing? Like, I, I really don't know. Uh, gear degradation or time simulation? Uh, gear degradation that is uh, kept up with elegantly enough that you don't spend five minutes on your turn of... Six seconds or whatever it is. It's a dumbass idea. You have a paper doll or even just a single piece of paper that is the armor you're wearing and it's with your character sheet. And every time you take damage, you have to tear a little piece off of like a grid <laughs> off of that thing. And when, when the whole thing is gone, your armor breaks. I actually kind of like that. <laughs> but I, I actually like that idea too. Like make... Like if it's a if it's a chest piece, you you have a you have um, a representation that ha- resembles a chest piece, and you can take pieces off of it. But once once you've eaten through it, like not even necessarily like tear torn all apart, like try to represent like where the damage has been taken, like take a little piece off of it there until it's no, it wouldn't be functional anymore until you, until you've like torn it in half or something like that. In this hypothetical game, uh, you know, for people who hate waste, uh, we could sell, um, you know, 
uh, armor paper dolls, uh, that's air quote paper doll, that once they're torn apart, they could be like Velcroed or like magneted or somehow, you know, put back together to be reused as another representation of your armor and its, its state of decay. Okay, so you guys elegant ideas voodoo dolls. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> cool. So on, like, legitimately, my idea is um, have a have a printout that is, like, of a body, and whatever armor you've got on, there is a, a, a pictorial representation of that armor with, like, a grid on it. Mm-hmm. And whenever you get hit, like, you tell somebody, okay, fill in a square on that grid. And whenever so much of the grid is full, then that's when the armor breaks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're, you're talking about linear degradation in the form of just hash marks on the grid... Versus, like, I took X amount of damage, Y amount is done to my armor, and because that was a big hit, it does a lot of damage to my armor. Versus a small hit that just kind of nicks it. Um, After the podcast, I want to draw a picture of what I need. Okay, (laughs) cool. Um, But uh, uh, riffing on that for a second, you you could have uh, weapons that deal extra damage, their armor penetrating or something, and instead of one linear hash mark checked off because you've been hit, it mm. does two or something like that. But uh, anyway, we can talk more about this after this episode because yeah. we've strayed. <laughs> well, we're talking about armor. What about daggers versus plate mail? This is this is my pet peeve because <laughs> historically, knights don't get killed with big fucking swords. <laughs> they get killed by little daggers that everybody carries around with them. And the way you kill a knight in a medieval battlefield is you get enough people to knock them down and pile on top of him while somebody is there taking out their knife and shoving it into the creases in the armor. Knights were never killed with lo- with great swords. I'm sure there has been a few cases, but <laughs> the majority of the time it was a dagger that killed the knights. How many times have you fought in a D&D game with a dagger against somebody with in full plate? Because a dagger only does 1d4 damage. Well, you yeah. could have a sword that does 2d6. Only as a rogue. Or at low levels, or when your other weapon is gone for some reason. <laughs> when it broke. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a, a group in D&D group grapple the bad guy and just pin them to the ground while one motherfucker just yeah <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> well how are we going to represent that grappling <laughs> Man, that could be really effective a bunch of like spec out wrestler fighter guys and then just one rogue that's just ready to assassinate <laughs> Um, I also want to talk about the way that guns are represented in in games in contrast with the way bows are represented. In any game I've seen, you are you are better off using a bow for your weapon instead of a gun until you get to guns that are approximately equivalent to the end of the Civil War and later, where you've got cartridge, ammunition, and you've got the ability to fire multiple round or fire multiple rounds in succession without having to reload. In real life, there is a reason why bows went out of fashion way before the end of the Civil War. Um, guns are so much easier to use and to learn how to use as opposed to a bow where you literally have to train for a large part of your life in order to get your body to the point where you can use accurately use a bow. Um, in medieval society, Sundays after church is when the people in town would get together and they would practice shooting their bows. Mm-hmm. That's what they did every week. That's how they. That's how the English longbowmen became the dominant force on the battlefield in um, in the late medieval period and early Renaissance. But guns. Guns were so much better because you could just put them in the hands of anybody and after an afternoon of teaching them how to reload, they could pick it up and fire it, do it again, much more accurately in a group, just as accurately as um, a group of archers. And the gun also delivers so much more energy on target than, you know, the bow does. I mean, that's... The gun is what made plate mail obsolete. Yeah. And... 
you know, there was that weird period of history in like the 1600s when like the battlefield was basically like mounted knight dudes. Yeah. But also dudes with pikes and behind them dudes with little single shot shitty guns Mm -hmm. and, or maybe crossbows. And that was pretty much it. Like once, once you get that formation, mounted knight in plate mail looks ridiculous mm-hmm. and it never came back yep guns are also easier to maintain uh, yeah if you 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 keep a gun uh fairly dry you keep it from rusting maybe a little bit of lubrication if you really want to even you know we're talking shitty old guns to modern day you know assault rifles that gun's going to be able to be used for decades hell like i i've fired a gun that's a hundred years old but a bow um the, the, the string is going to, even if it's not used and it's kept away carefully, that bowstring, I don't know how long it lasts, but a bowstring will degrade. The, the wood itself will begin to degrade if it's not taken care of. And that's why there are, are so few yew trees in the British Isles is because they cut all those trees down to make their bows. <laughs> or is it the ash? Thank you. Yeah. Me? You. <laughs> I would like to say a little bit more about, um, about just basic combat mechanics stuff. Um, so like sword fighting, we kind of got into this a little bit when we were talking about how most fights go to the ground. If you've got two people that are wailing on each other with swords, for one thing, I, I don't know of a system that does like a lock very good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's, that's a common thing in media and it's, it would be a thing if you're trying to struggle to get this blade into somebody's body and they've got one to mm-hmm. repel with. Um, it's always just like these slashes back and forth mm-hmm. is always yeah. how it's portrayed. But for one thing, if you're swinging a huge piece of metal at someone and even if they do manage to get their sword in the way, there is a shitload of kinetic energy that still needs to be dealt with. And if your footing is not right, you're going to get knocked over even if you don't get cut. Mm-hmm. And your sword's going to get knocked into you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't see a lot of that. You also don't see, like, you only see, like, for a sword, the blade being used. You don't see any other parts of the sword being used. And every medieval treatise on sword fighting, you are using the pommel, you're using the guards, you're gripping yep. the, like, the knights are gripping the blade with their gauntleted mm-hmm. hand yeah. in order to get leverage and handing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you do see pistol whipping represented in a lot of systems, but yeah, you don't see like a pommel hit represented. And, the, and it's also always assumed that, like, furthermore on what you're saying, that not only is is the attack just the blade of the weapon, your attack is also just that weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's never like slash at the sword and then kick him in the chest. You know, yeah. something like that. There's you know little shoulder just to knock them off balance. Like there's all these little details of it goes back to hand combat. And it goes back to the fights going to the ground. You're, you're, you're not maneuvering in order to get a good slice. You're maneuvering to knock them to the ground so you can run them through. Yeah. I mean, Musashi talks about this in uh, book of five rings. He talks about how, um, when, when you're moving in on your opponent that, yeah, your, your main intention is to, to cut into them. Um, as deeply as you can, but you also have to keep all of these other options available to you to kick them, to knock them down, to, you know, punch them. Like you talked about your whole body being part of your attack with every attack. It's not just like, he actually makes fun of fighters who just sit there and slash at each other. He's like, this this guy's an asshole, you know, (laughs) (laughs) That's another example of how initiative also sucks is that, you know, in, uh, in real life samurai duels, both guys died most of the time mm-hmm. in a D and D samurai duel. They're going to roll initiative. One guy's going to go first. He's going to make an attack. That's not going to kill the guy. The other guy's going to attack back and they're going to sit there and hack away at each other until one drops and the other one walks away victorious. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's not, it's not real. And the survivor is just walks away with all of these bleeding wounds that magically heal on their own. Yeah, he'll get better. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no danger of actually bleeding out when you're walking away from the fight. 
Well, we're going to get a lot of people probably send in um, systems where any of the things we've mentioned are actually handled well. Please stuff do. we've never heard yeah. of. Please do. I'd love to steal it from um, my game. <laughs> <laughs> also, remember that the point of this episode was to shred apart a lot of these things. We fully understand that if the things we talked about were represented perfectly realistically, these capital G games we're playing probably wouldn't be much fun. But... I think it's a pretty cool exercise to talk about this, especially when you're thinking of elegance in a design. Yeah, I, I can't remember the system, but there is a um, a Wild West gun high noon gunfight role playing game where the rounds are in fractions of a second oh, nice. for doing a quick draw and shooting <laughs> your opponent. <laughs> Damn! What do you do on this round? I spend my fraction of a second spinning my long gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say a syllable. <laughs> hey. Next round. A. Next well, round. Puh. Next you, round. Ill. Next round. Grim. <laughs> you've got to. You've got to make your roll to to grab your weapon. You've got to make a roll to elegantly pull it out of the holster without it catching. You got to bring it up. You oh, got to line funny. it up. You got to <laughs> squeeze the trigger without. Uh, I love the failure opportunities <laughs> on those first two actions. Yeah. <laughs> Fail and blow off your own toe. <laughs> so do we want to move on to geek things? Sure. Um, I don't really have a whole lot. Um, I've discovered two YouTube channels that I've been getting a lot big kick out of. One of them is called um, The Modern Rogue. Uh, they look at a lot of... Um, well, one of them is very obviously a D&D player because he has a um, an everyday bag that he assembles with all these cool, like, um, probably illegal in some, in some areas, like, things that you can have. Like, they show how to, like, pick locks and um, defeat different systems. They talk about um, the... Uh, an episode they talked about uh, the um, UHF, VHF um, radio system in the U.S. and who is authorized to use it, who isn't. Um, there's just a lot of really fringe information on things that um, are on the fringe of being legal or illegal. Nice. I don't think just a purely a set of lockpicks is illegal anywhere, though it might, you know, cause someone to investigate you and you could get in more trouble for other things. But um, I, I've flown with lockpicks and, you know, going through a security scanner, no one says anything. There are a pretty handsome white guy, so yeah. it depends on the state. Um, in Ohio, you actually need to prove that you're not going to be doing a crime with them if you're caught. With, if if you if your vehicle is searched and they are found, you need to be able to prove that you're not going to commit a crime with them because the police already had probable cause to search your vehicle. How do you prove that? So much for innocent yeah. until proven guilty. Interesting. Like that, well, I'm, I'm wrong. Don't that needs to be taken to court. That's bullshit. But they're but your picks aren't going to be found in. Well, they shouldn't be doing just a random search. Shouldn't stop and frisk. I um, have one brief point of pride. Finally beat Persona Three after three years. I've uh, I had 150 hours in that JRPG. Jesus, holy shit! But um, I did one of those things where I like basically kicked the shit out of the game and did everything I'd ever want to do in it, including the optional boss fight with the Reaper. And uh, I probably will, probably will never play it again. <laughs> I was about to ask when you were done, did you eject the disc and snap it over your knee? Because that'd be sick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I already took that game and bent it over my knee. I, I don't need to uh, break my disc. <laughs> Fuck it, though. I, I hadn't played a game like that and beat it in a long time. <laughs> Um, my geek thing, uh, I got two of them. They're both, uh, YouTube channels. Clayton and I recently went to go see Alien in the theater for the 40th anniversary, um, original Alien. And I found these two YouTube channels. One is called, uh, Alien Anthology. That one is a series of short films that are surprisingly high production quality, um, all set in the alien universe. Uh, some pretty cool stuff there. The other one is called Alien Theory, and that is a fan channel where a guy goes through and just breaks down all of these, you know, 
very detailed bits of the movies and the comics will go into a deep explanation of how the pulse rifle works or, you know, go into some alternate theory that is, you know, maybe kind of implied in different parts of the movies about this or that. Um, lots of stuff about the alien biology and life cycle and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, if you're a big alien nerd, check those out because they're pretty sweet. It might be the geekiest geek thing we've ever brought up, and I love it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys, what you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.